While the children are going out, would you open your Bibles with me this morning? Book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I appreciate the opportunity to speak this morning in the absence of pastor. Trustees on the road having a safe trip uh, back from uh, Georgia, I believe. He's been down with family. And it's always good to be with family uh, for 37 years. We were not able to be with family on weekend or at many times. I did not get to go to the homecomings and uh, to uh, family reunions and, and all of those things. Uh, so I can, I can certainly sympathize with Pastor. And when he gets the opportunity to be with family, that is a great, great privilege. Uh, the bulletin this morning, the machines broke. So that should be fixed by next week. And uh, Carolyn will have the bulletins back out. So not her fault. You're in the book of uh, Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is a very special book. It's a book about the life of Israel, God's chosen people, Old Testament chosen people. God had uh, sent them down into Egypt. Uh, the story of Joseph fits there and the years beyond Joseph for 430 years. And now they're out, the book of Exodus, coming out of Egypt. The 40 years of wilderness wanderings, difficult times, their own making, actually, if they had obeyed God and simply done what God wanted them to do, there would not have been those 40 years of wanderings. But now Moses, Moses, you know the story, is not going to be permitted to go into the promised land. He sinned against God. He disobeyed God. First time... Israel complained, we want water. God said, strike the rock. God gave upward to 300 million people water out of a rock. Second time the people complained about water, God said, speak to the rock. God smote the rock, excuse me, Moses smote the rock. God said, uh-uh, you've disobeyed me. And for that reason... You will not lead my children into the land that flows with milk and honey. You'll not enter. Moses understands this. He wrote the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing upward to three million people to go in and possess the land. So he's an old man. Upwards to 120 years. Now put yourself in a position, I can't put myself in a position of 120 years old by no stretch of the match, and neither do I want to. <laughs> but put yourself in that position, knowing you have nursed these people for 40 years. And you want them to succeed. You want them to go into the land and enjoy all that God has planned and prepared for them. 
But the best thing you're going to be able to do is go up on the mountain and look over, see the land, and die. You'll not set foot not on one inch of that land. Now, I say put yourself in that position and write the book of Deuteronomy. See? Now you get it. You, you grasp the, 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 the weight of the heart of this man. 120 years old. Walked with God. God would speak to him face to face. Nobody else. Face to face. And you got to leave him. That's the, that's the weight of this book. The entire book of Deuteronomy. Well, it's a book about life. And even though he's 120 years old, he understands that life is brief at best. Compare 120 to eternity. It's not even a drop in the bucket, as we say. Brief. James said, what is life? It's a vapor, appears for a little while and vanishes away. The uh, psalmist said, Life is three score and ten. You know, I've experienced that, and I said, wow, is this the end? Three score. And then he did say, per chance, what? Four score. Maybe. Maybe 80. But it's brief. Life is hard. Nobody ever said life would be easy. Bobby says, old age is not for sissies. Life is not for sissies. Understand that. How did Job describe it? For man is born for trouble. Man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. That describes life on planet earth. But life also is filled with responsibility and accountability. And that's what Moses is trying to prepare Israel or responsibility because they're going to be accountable to God. We're going to be accountable to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Paul describes the, the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. He says, we're going to give an account for everything we've done before Christ one day. And you will either receive a reward... Or you will forfeit reward. What you could have had, you won't have. If you have not lived life according to the plan and purpose of God. Life is three-dimensional. There's, there's the spiritual aspect of life. And the spiritual aspect of life is based on belief. It's based on the doctrine of the Word of God. Then there is the emotional aspect of life. That's the inner feelings that come and go, depending on the stimulus or the stimuli that comes into your life, you react. Or I like to say you should respond. Reaction is not good, response is thinking it through. And it becomes an emotional thing when certain... Things happen in life or certain words are said. Regardless, it's emotional. And the third aspect of life is relational. 
That is that uh, there are bonds that are formed in all of life. You think back to your even elementary school friends, don't you? And then beyond some of your teachers, your parents, of course, uh, friends as you grow up through high school, through college, uh, into the workplace. And there are relationships throughout all of life, spiritual, emotional, and relational. Now, God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his people and to have and experience these three dimensions of life. They were accountable to the commands, the statutes, that God had given them, the testimonies, as the Scripture calls it. They were to build their, their spiritual life on the Word of God. There was the emotional aspect that God expected from them because He is God, He is sovereign, and we're going to see from our text that God expects something for us to respond emotionally from Him. And then there was this purpose in life, and with that purpose comes responsibility and accountability. Now God gave... God gave Israel. The Bible, your Bible is a Jewish book. I was thinking a moment ago. I think there's the possibility of one Gentile out of all of the authors of the book, the Bible, some 40, that, that possibly is a Gentile. Maybe and only once. The Bible is a Jewish book. Israel was a depository. God put the Bible in the hands of the Jews. And because of their nature, God worked in them that they are the preservers of the Bible. If the Bible had been given into the Gentile hands, we wouldn't have a Bible today. So you and I... We worship God according to the book, the Word of God, that God is giving. And He gave this, and I'm in the context of Deuteronomy. He gave the book of Deuteronomy to form the spiritual life, the emotional life, and the relationships of Israel. When they came into the promised land. Now we can make uh, application and we can say without any uh, reservation uh, the New Testament is for our spiritual life. The doctrines that we find in the New Testament, they are to form us spiritually. We are to govern our lives by them, and when we do, we interact, and Jesus told us how to handle emotional issues. I mentioned it in Sunday school this morning. Love your enemies. Wait a minute. If I react, what do I do? I hate my... Let me, let me throw another one at you. Pray for those who are in authority over you. How often do you pray for the president? That you might have a peaceful life. These are principles. And many times we don't... And I'm not being political because I have a feeling I feel the same way that you do. But my responsibility is still the same. Rather than respond emotionally, respond scripturally 
and do what God says do. And then there comes the accountability factor, the responsible factor. I will be held accountable, not by what I think or I feel, I will be held accountable by what God says, the very Word of God. Think about that. Our text today, let me read it, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now watch this. Watch the shalls in here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words, which I command you today, shall, there it is, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk in Walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Scriptures. Thank you for this particular text, and I pray that we'll be able to discern the, what you have for us from this particular text today to form our lives into what you would have us to be. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This text that I just read to you today is quoted twice daily by Israel, by the Jews, an Orthodox Jew. Two times a day he'll quote this scripture. The problem is, is that Israel as a nation, has missed the intent of the text. And I don't want you to miss it by way of application. If you miss it, you're going to fail God in your spiritual life, you're going to be all over the place in your emotional life, and you're not going to be able to give a good account to God when it's time to give that account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Well, we must all appear before the judgment, the bema of Christ, and give an account of the things that we've done in this flesh. To the Jew, this is the most important text in the Old Testament right now, to them. To the Jew, it is important. When, when Bobby and I flew over to Israel, we got the last two seats on the rear of the airplane with the space behind us. And at sundown, synagogue met behind us. That was interesting. And they went through their chants, and I'm quite sure uh, they were speaking in Yiddish or Hebrew. I didn't understand everything, but I'm quite sure they quoted this text right here. And then they dismissed, and they went back to their seats. We over the Mediterranean sometime during sunbreak, sunup, and they met again. That was quite an experience. They met the second time, sundown, sunup. And, and it was interesting that occasion because you have to have ten men for the synagogue to meet. 
Can't meet with five, seven, eight, or nine. You've got to have ten. Now, keep in mind, we've flown all night. And uh, these guys coming back, if I'd had a mirror, I would have reflected their image, I'm sure. But they come dragging back. But they came dragging back. And they met. And the rabbi started. I'm sure they quoted this text right here. And one of them gave up the ghost, so to speak. They had ten. And he went back to his seat. And the other nine are back there, and all of a sudden, the rabbi realizes, we're not official. And he stopped. Right in the middle. And they looked around, and asking each other, well, what happened? We were ten. So I looked over my shoulder, I said, one of you went up that way and took a seat. Well, you know what they did? They didn't quit. They went and grabbed a teenage boy and brought him back there, and they finished. That's the heart of the Old Testament people, the Jewish people, for the Word of God, and for this particular text. See, the Jew is the most important passage in the Scripture. Moses is teaching not only the priority of belief, in this and all of his writings, but he also is teaching them that this is a means for preservation for their life. Now hear me. The Bible is the means to preserve your life. You understand that? That's the importance of the Word of God. It is preservative. It's promised as blessing. But they no longer practiced it. And sad to say, but they don't today. And because they don't, they didn't practice it. Throughout the history of the Old Testament, they suffered. They're still suffering today. I wonder what would have happened had they kept it. Well, I can surmise, I don't think there would even be such a thing as a church today. If Israel had kept the Word of God. There would be no need because God would have His people. But you know, the same danger and the same failure that they had, you and I as, a, as believers today, we stand on the same threshold of unbelief and unfaithfulness to God. And you and I can learn. We can learn the lessons from history Old Testament people, and we can learn the lessons from Scripture, the Word of God, and be a success in the eyes of God. Let's explore. This, this text is called the Shema. That's what Israel calls it. It's the Shema. And the word Shema literally means that first word that you see here in verse 6. Hear. That's Shema. Hear, hear is the message of God to His people. The message of God to His people today is hear, hear what I'm saying. Heed what I'm telling you. Obey, walk with me, do what I want, and life will be well. Explore with me the intent of the Shema. And let's see how it fits the three dimensions of your life. 
What are the three dimensions of your life? Spiritual, emotional, and relational. That's what he's speaking to in this text. The spiritual aspect of life is based on truth. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We call that what? Monotheism. Monotheism. The world practices polytheism. Many gods. The day of the Apostle Paul on uh, Mars Hill, they had a god for everything, didn't they? That's the Greek mind. That's the Gentile mind. A god for everything. And they happened to have one that they called what? The unknown God. And Paul said, that's the one I want to talk to you about, the one you don't know. That's a good lesson for us. The world doesn't know our God. Unsaved people don't know our Savior. And that's the one that we should talk to them about. So the basis of spiritual life, monotheism, is a belief that there is only one God. Quite literally, this phrase could be the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You could say, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And of course, in the Ten Commandments, He said, you shall have no other gods before Me. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he says, to the world there are many gods and many lords. Then he said, but to us there is but one God and one Lord. So let's learn a biblical truth, let's practice a biblical truth, that uh, God is one. And that word one there is an interesting word within itself. It speaks of unity. Now, I'm not going to build the Trinity out of this one, but it sure enough can be put there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a unit. Same word one here is used in Genesis chapter 1 where God said He made them one flesh. Though they were two individuals, male and female, Adam and Eve, as far as God was concerned, they were a unit. So our God, we have but one. That's a blessed truth. Let God be true and every man a Liar is what we learn from the Scripture. So the foundation on which spiritual life rests, it is the Word of God. Look at verse 1 of the chapter. Now this is the commandment, Moses saying, this is the commandment. These are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land. When you get over on the other side of Jordan, this is what you're to do. This is what you're to observe. The uniqueness of the spiritual life is that it stands out from all other religions. Four things about Christianity. Number one, it's exclusive. We hear a lot about tolerance today. Be careful with that. If you're not careful, you'll tolerate every message 
There is, whether it's the Hindu, the Muslim, any message that's false, if you're not careful. Now, you're politically incorrect. Uh, you heard what I said. You're not incorrect. You are correct, but you're politically incorrect. Because the world says, tolerate. The message of the Bible is exclusive. What is the way of salvation? What is the only way of salvation? Jesus said, I am the... I am the... I am the... No man comes to the Father. You're being intolerant. Wait a minute. Jesus was intolerant. Now, that doesn't mean we're to hate. He said, love your... Enemies. Do good to those. That's the difference between our faith and their faith. They say, kill the infidel. That's not found in Scripture. So to have a spiritual life, we have to obey and build our lives on the Word of God. The Bible is exclusive about salvation. Listen to Paul. Paul was a bigot. I say that with tongue-in-cheek. All right? Listen to what he said. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And then he said in verse 9, As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. In other words, there's salvation only in the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So spiritual life is built on the Scriptures. It governs what you and I do. It is, it is exclusive. Secondly, it is powerful. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. It's powerful. Regeneration. As many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe. It's complete. The Bible is complete. Uh, Paul, excuse me, John wrote, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. The Bible's complete. Scripture's complete. And it also is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. Where? In heaven. It came from heaven, it's settled in heaven. And we have the beauty of handling. It forms our spiritual life. By it, by the truth of the word of God, we know that we know Jesus Christ. Now, watch secondly. This word was to govern their emotional life. Now, what, is, what's, what do we base our emotions on? 
I could say love. Go back to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now watch this. You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You see, the seat of the emotions is the heart. Love God with all your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Love is a verb. You shall love. You shall be active. Love is, is an action that excites and, and stirs the feelings. I remember when, and still remember, I almost messed up there. I remember as a teenage boy and my bride said, well, I was a teenager when she became my bride. She said, I love you. Boy, I just felt good all over. And I still feel that way. I'm not like that old guy who married her. You know the story. He said, you know, when I married her, I told her I loved her. If I ever changed my mind, I'd let her know. Love is an emotion. And he says it affects the heart. The heart gives us feelings. And love will, will be loyal. It always is separated to the object that it loves. It's controlled by truth. So you see, Scripture controls the spiritual life. It controls the emotional life. That's what happens so many times with so many people go crazy all over the place with things that are not biblical in the name of Christ. It's not scripturally grounded. So our, our lives, our life is emotional. What are the attributes of love? True love will always focus on the object that is worth something or valuable. That's what God has done toward us. True love will always do what is best for the object that it's attached to. God so the world, God so loved the world that He did what? He went into action. Jesus came. God Himself became human flesh. Not God the Father, God the Son. Why? Because you and I are the world. Always does what is best. And then love will always, always will, will attach itself to one another. Jesus put much premium on this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. A lawyer came to him. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus had already silenced the Pharisees. There was no more argument from them. Read the chapter. 
He had silenced the Herodians. There was no more argument for them. He had silenced the the Sadducees. And here comes this lawyer. And he says, What is the greatest of all commands? Jesus quoted this. You shall love the Lord your God, all your heart, your soul, and your strength. See, Jesus put much premium. He put much weight because he knows that what you love, you're going to get emotional about it. And we love God. We love God. It's a controlling factor. Look at verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. As a man, as a person thinks in his heart, that's what he is. You say, I have a major problem with life. You know where it comes from? Not from your friends. It comes from within you. Your thinking process. You are what you think. You think. You think immoral immoral acts long enough and you will perform an immoral act. You think drugs long enough and you will become a drug addict. You are what you think, what you focus on. So Jesus says, get the heart right. It will control your emotional aspect in what you do out of the heart. And then notice with me also, the relational aspect of life is is summed up in this text. And that's based on obedience. The spiritual is based on the Word of God. The emotional is based on the Word of God and it flows out of the out as you put the Word of God in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David wrote, that I might not sin against God. You put it in your heart and you will be well balanced emotionally. Then it affects and it controls your relationships. This is what you see in the rest of the verses here, beginning with verse 7. You shall teach... Them diligently to whom? To your children. I'm in the middle of a book. I've got to get back to it. It's entitled, The Last Christian Generation by Josh McDowell. And I'm going to tell you, he's opened my eyes. Well, my eyes were open, but he's helped me see clearer. that we could be living in the last days of biblical Christianity. Because our children do not know the Word of God. So he's saying here, you better teach it to your children. And he goes on to talk about the relationships that we're to have. Relationships in the family. This is what this is. Let me just read it again. He says, this word, you shall teach your children, you'll talk about it to them. When you in your house, when you sit in your house, talk about the Word of God, talk about God, talk about the Savior. When you walk by the way, 
when you lie down at night, when you rise up, and he said, you shall even bind them as a sign on your hand. You see, the Jews became so literal and so external that they literally made what we call phylacteries, and they hanged them from their sleeves. They even put the phylactery between their eyes. And they quote it twice a day, but don't know the meaning of it. You see, it can be external. It controls our, it governs our relationships. The Word of God. What kind of relationship do you have in your home? Parents, please, please, teach your children the Word of God. When they're little, tell them the Bible stories. What do you think is the number one influence in a child's life today? We could kick this around for quite a while. What? Well, I'm, I'm, let me hear you. Video games and television. What else? Cell phones? <laughs> yeah. All right, let me burst your bubble. Television is number seven. Music is number seven as an influence in children's lives. Wow. Peer pressure is big. Number one, and family, mom and dad are number one. That's who's influencing your children. Think about it. It blew my mind when I saw number seven. You know what I do most of the griping about? That old ungodly music and the television programs they're watching all the time. And research shows it's way down the line. Your child wants a daddy and a mommy. who know how to love God and walk with God and show it in their emotions and talk about it. That's who's influencing your children. Now, of course, our universities don't help any, but that's way down the line. Roman Catholicism says this, Give me a child till he's six years old. And he'll be a Roman Catholic the rest of his life. What are they saying? We will indoctrinate them by the time they're six. And we got them. Except for the sovereignty and the grace of God. Relationships. You see, the truth is found in the Scripture... And our young people say, the scripture is true because I believe it. Anything wrong with that? Scripture is true because I believe it. There's a lot wrong with that. The scripture is true 
because it's the Word of God whether I believe it or not. And I form my relationships based on that. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The relationships within the church. I don't like her. You know what he said? Wait a minute now. We are our brother's keeper. Relationships in the home, in the church, in the workplace. It comes back to the Word of God and obedience. So think about this. The Lord is one. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. Whether I believe that or not, He is. And before Him, every knee shall bow, tongue, confess, He's Lord. The gospel is exclusive. I'm saved by believing the gospel. Not in Mohammed or Confucius or Buddha or some sacrament. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And the Word of God controls my relationships. It controls it in my home. It controls it among my children. It controls it when I'm out playing. When I'm, whatever I'm working. The Word of God. The Word of God. Life is three-dimensional. Spiritual, emotional, and relational. The relationship between God and you. Love God. Now Jesus added, He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So I would ask you, you want to stand before Jesus and give a good account? Hear, O oh Israel, hear my Christian brother, my Christian sister. Take the Word of God. Take the God of the Word. Form a faith that is true and a relationship that cannot be broken. And you'll finish your life and you'll hear Jesus say, and you know how I say it. He says, good and faithful servant. He says, enter in to the reward. I say, good job! Is what Jesus wants to say to you. And what He wants to say to me. Good job! Only one life will soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Thank you for the God of the Word. Thank you that you are God. And we call you Father. We call you Abba, Father, trusting. Papa, Papa, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray for my heart, first of all. For my heart can grow cold. I know because it's mine. And it does. I pray for the hearts of my brothers and my sisters whom I've had the privilege of speaking to today to help them understand that life is rounded out in these areas. Spiritual aspect, emotional aspect, and relationships. God, you speak to the Christian, first of all. That if there's sin in the life, these areas are not right, not the right understanding of the Word of God. This can be corrected even by confession of that sin and committing the life afresh to you. Father, if my words have fallen upon someone who doesn't know Jesus today, help them understand that the gospel is the only way, the only means, the only message of salvation. May that person pass from spiritual death into spiritual life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.